Welcome to the SBS Tour de France podcast sponsored by Zwift. It was famously used by Matt Heyman to prepare for his victory at Paris-Roubaix. You can use it too for your own goals. Visit Zwift.com to learn how to join the digital peloton today. Uh, welcome to the Zwift Tour de France podcast, episode 23. And today we're bringing you this podcast all the way from the center of the Stade Velodrome in Marseille. Let me just, before we start, remind you that you can, of course, download this podcast on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash cyclingcentral. Also from our website, sbs.com.au slash cyclingcentral. And schedule a ride with our lovely friends at Zwift on Zwift. Dave McKenzie is with me today. Dave, as I said, what an incredible venue. We have to shout, I'm sorry, because there's so much noise around us. It is amazing, isn't it? Just uh, the vision that we're seeing here, we're in the middle of this stadium, 67,000 capacity. It's a modern stadium. It's been around for a long, long time, but it's been renovated over the years. And today, it is the start and finish of the stage of the Tour de France, the time trial. It's it's just an amazing uh, way to, 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 you know, sort of crescendo the Tour de France. Uh, it's quite fitting because it's, it's called a Stade Vélodrome for the francophone and the francophile. Uh, we'll understand the Vélodrome, it's... I mean, is that the same? It's the track, basically, yeah. uh, for people that don't understand French, but it's fitting as a venue. But how much enjoyment the crowd is having here? Oh, it's phenomenal, isn't it? There's riders starting and finishing as we stand here and the crowd every now and then just goes up and down and, and you know as particular riders are certainly the French but it's uh, it's a great crowd and um, no it's just it's just the perfect setting isn't it and uh, you got to give it to ASO they um, just when you think you know in some ways I thought this course was a little bit bland at the very beginning but wow this is this is really tops it Absolutely. And before the men, the women did uh, that time trial. So we talked about it in the uh, last three of our podcast. Um, what did you make of that time trial and, and that chase, that, that new sort of breed of racing? I like the concept, uh, how basically the finishing order and the finishing time of the women up the Col d'Isoire, the top 20 then got to do the time trial. Listen to that. It's just amazing, isn't it? Isn't it? It's just, uh, it's just. I feel like we're at the World Cup soccer. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing because it's not football. It's yeah. cycling. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's just, um, it's wow. I hope they do this more often. But back to the women. Um, I like the concept. So as I said, the finishing order and time up Col d'Isoire is the same what they did for the time trial. So therefore, Annemiek van Vluten, instead of going off last, she went off first because she won up Col d'Isoire. The seconds she won by, it was something like 42 seconds to Lizzie Dygan. She then starts that far behind her. But then no time trial box, and it's like a road race against the clock. So normal road race rules apply, but you start against the clock sort of thing. So in the end, Annemiek van Vluten, because she won by a good margin, she ended up actually winning by, I think it was roughly a minute 30 seconds or something like that. And uh, look, it was great. I don't think it would work all the time, um, but... Hats off to ASO for trying something different. And you know what? At first, I thought they were sort of not respecting the women by taking them away from the Champs-Élysées. But now I think the opposite. Now I think, wow, you put them up an iconic mountain, the Col d'Isoire, as we hear the crowd again. And then you had them start and finish in this amazing venue. So I think it's actually been really good for the women. 
how long until we see this at the, the main Tour de France, do you think? That kind of, that kind of event. Are we far away? But are they ready for some change, injecting new sort of racing in that tour? Why not? Why not? Why not? Yeah, I, it's never say never, I always say. And, um, you know, they're testing the water with the women's La Course and they'll hope to, ex- I hope they expand it. I'm sure, I'm sure the people that are driving that want to, obviously. It's just getting... All, all the stakeholders across the line, and uh, look, it is a, it is a. I know, I know, I went on about it uh, a bit yesterday and said, you know, the women deserve more, and they shouldn't be grateful, and I stand by that. However, it is a big, a, a big logistical uh, sort of structure to, to try and implement the women's race with the men's race. I think they can do it. Where there's a will, there's a way. So they've got to do it. They have to do it. I think, um, and let's hope they, they, they make it, they make it work. And in terms of the men's race. I think we're a few more years off before they change anything dramatically. Absolutely. Uh, let's come back to the to the, uh, to the women's race. Uh, how did the Aussie girls did? Yeah, pretty good. Well, look, the Australian team, Orica Scott, they won it underneath uh, Annemiek Van Vluten. Shara Gillo, she had a good ride up uh, Coldy's Ward. She did crack in the last kilometre, and that cost her dearly because she's a great time trialist. She's won numerous Australian uh, individual time trial titles. So, and because she fell back on the Iswad, her start time in that chase was, was quite a way back. Amanda Spratt basically finished ahead of her, I think, in the end, and Amanda Spratt was able to sit on her because her teammate's enemy, Van Vluten, who's out in front in the chase. It sounds confusing, doesn't it? But uh, so, in the end, uh, look, Amanda Spratt was a big highlight for me. I think she rode above herself, uh, I think, on, on the Cold Iswad, just in terms of her climbing. Not that she was not a climber, but I wouldn't have put her amongst the top five up the Coldies Ward, and that's what she did. She had a great ride, and uh, and then she rode the perfect team role in the chase, um, protecting Annemiek Van Vluten's lead, and Van Vluten then soloed, obviously. She started off first. She basically did a time trial, and, uh, you know, she's strong. She's impressive. So all in all, I think it was a good showcase. Uh, let's remember as well, Annemiek Van Vluten, the, uh, the crash she had at the Olympics, but also... On a more positive side, she was the second fastest up the Isoard behind Warren Bargill. That's the data that has been given by Matthew Kinnan. But how incredible is this in that climb? That's amazing. That's amazing. Now, you can use the excuse, if you like, <laughs> from, a, from a, a macho male perspective or for those macho males out there saying, oh, they didn't race as far and haven't been racing for three weeks. Who cares? Who cares? The fact is, she did it. Yeah, and the incline is the same for everybody, so it was hard for them as well. No, it is, it is super, super impressive. I mean, I'm, I must say, and, and look, I, I'm totally, I back the women's cycling, and I, and I think the improvements now and the enjoyment of watching women's cycling is, is really good. I, I, I enjoy watching women's races, but I really didn't think she'd have the second quickest time up the Cold Ward. Wow, that's super impressive. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Uh, let's talk about the, the men's time trial now. I mean, what, what more can we say is a success as well? Actually, a success finishing again in this stadium. What the atmosphere, how cool the atmosphere was. It was brilliant, wasn't it? And uh, yeah, it, it, it lived up to the expectations. I think um, beforehand we thought, oh yeah, it'll be good. And then we got into the stadium and we thought, wow. And then when the, when the place filled up and the noise at the end, you know, especially for the last few, and of course, uh, Roman Bardet, he didn't do a great time trial. But the crowd, they were so behind him, and it was just, it was fantastic to witness it. What do you make of the booing gate? Uh, let's call it the booing gate. Yeah. Hashtag booing gate. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, what do you make of that? Because uh, I was speaking to, uh, speaking to Tomo, and Tomo was saying, you know what, home and away. 
advantage or not. Do you agree or not? Because I do agree. Yeah, I've, I never thought, I never thought of that beforehand about about say football codes and home and away advantage. And we don't we don't we don't jump up and down at um, coded football games, do we? And say, oh, it's terrible. They're booing. So it is what it is. And you know what? There were some cheers for him too. It wasn't hundred percent booing. So there's there's a lot of, there's a lot of Froomey fans in the in the stadium. Bognar, is he is he is he the winner we were expecting today? Not really, but we knew he was good. But isn't it nice? I'm glad he won because he's the guy, remember, I can't tell you the exact stage, but he was the only rider who got caught from a breakaway inside 300 metres to go. He soloed towards the end and then he got caught. And I interviewed him after and, we, you know, I think I said to him, do you think you'll get another chance again? Because they only come, not too many chances come for riders at the Tour de France. Well, little, little did he know that he'd win the penultimate stage and the most exciting. And for Bora, it's the second win on this Tour de France, but it's the first one since uh, Peter Sagan was uh, ejected from the Tour de France. It must be, it must be a bittersweet victory. Yeah, he'll be, he'll be absolutely wrapped, won't he? And uh, bittersweet, but wow, they can hold their heads high, Bora. And I think it's, yeah, it's, I, I imagine Peter Sagan will be messaging him already saying, mate, well done, you stood tall. I think also uh, we can talk about Warren Barguil because we've been calling him, or I've been calling him, the darling of the French cycling, but the level of noise when he left that ramp was just even louder than anything. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the competition for the biggest... Uh, who won the competition for the biggest cheer? Warren Barguil, 100%. And he lapped it up, didn't he? He even waved to the crowd as he came in across the finish line. It's like, dude, like, seriously, like, go all the way to the line, but he loved it, and it was good. In the end, the results, Chris Froome is third of the stage uh, and he will be well, truly on yellow tonight and on the podium in the Champs-Élysées. Behind, it's a bit tight. you got uh, Uran that is solidified his second place, but he nearly crashed. Yes, he did, didn't he? He, he pushed it. And you know what? Without that, well, he didn't crash. I was about to say with the, without the crash, but without the little um, uh, you know, slide out on that almost final bend, probably cost him a few seconds. So... In actual fact, he only probably rode about 25 seconds slower than Chris Froome in the TT. I was hoping he was going to beat Chris Froome in the TT to make it interesting, but he should hold his head really high. That is a massive result for him, for the team, for Cannondale Drapak. Remember, an Australian sponsor in Drapak on the squad. So it's just a massive result for them it's, and good on them. So as we stand this morning, when we listen to the podcast, Chris Froome is in yellow, number one. Uran is number two, Bardet is number three, Landa is number four at one second difference from Bardet. Could this change tonight? You know, you know what'll be interesting? That intermediate sprint. I don't even know when it is. Let's pull the book out quick. It is interesting, isn't it? Will Will Lander, the question is, will Lander try and really rub it into the French faces like imagine on the Champs-Élysées if he took a second off Bardet? You know, you know what's interesting? Bardet needs to be a little bit careful because if there are splits in the peloton, even on the Champs, all the riders sit up. All the riders sit up and soak it up. And unless you're a guy sprinting for the win, the rest of the peloton really sit up and enjoy it. And for Bardet, he needs to be on the ball and he just really just needs to follow Lander. So the one rider that can't rest tonight is Bardet? Maybe, maybe. He'll be a little bit nervous. I feel for him. <laughs> Okay, Michael, we take a, a short break, and then when we come back, we'll talk to uh, Michael Matthews on how he felt, yes, how he felt in that stadium, because we saw it on TV, but it's interesting to hear it from his point of view. Michael Matthews, straight after this.
Zwift is an indoor cycling platform where you can connect with a global community at any time. You can chat with people all over the world, share in group rides, get encouragement from total strangers, and then they quickly become your new riding buddies. In fact, one of the most incredible stories to come out of it, it took it to the next level. They met on Zwift, a couple, and then they got married. It's extraordinary. Really though, the Zwift community is incredible and people all over the world will jump on just to ride with their friends from halfway across the globe. Check it out for yourself at Zwift.com today. Michael, uh, one more day in green and one more day to go. How do you feel? Yeah, I feel really good. I, um, yeah, I just can't get this smile off my face. It's, uh, it's really starting to hurt my cheeks actually, <laughs> smiling so much. But uh, Even I went to sleep last night knowing that uh, we just finished the last road stage of this Tour de France. And um, yeah, now on to TT today and I was still smiling all, all through last night. It's, uh, yeah, it's still hard to believe what uh, me and the, the team have achieved in this Tour de France. Describe how it was to start from that stadium and finish in that stadium. Because on TV it looked awesome. As a rider, how was it? It was really special. It was one TT that I could actually really enjoy and just soak up all the, all the, the crowds cheering and everything and um, hearing my name all along the, the course there it was really special and um, yeah it was one TT that I could really enjoy and especially being in the green jersey and the, the three weeks that we've had it's been, uh, it's been a really special experience One last question uh, Describe how you think you're going to feel when you're going to take that first corner in the Champs-Élysées in green I actually don't really know I think I'll have tears in my eyes for sure this, is, this has been really my dream was to, to do this in the Tour de France to leave my my imprint on the Tour de France and I think this year I really did that and um, it's been something I've been working so hard for for the last few years and um, sacrificing so much of, uh, of my life and my wife's life we, we, we're never with our family because we're always constantly on training camps yeah focusing on uh, on this goal and um, yeah now this has finally come true for us congratulations mate the whole of Australia is behind you yeah thank you thank you In 2016, Zwift launched a revolutionary talent ID program in partnership with the Canyon SRAM Racing Women's World Tour team. The goals were pretty simple, to find world-class talent amongst the Zwift community and to help female cyclists of all abilities become stronger athletes. The winner of the Zwift Academy would be awarded a UCI World Tour contract with the Canyon SRAM Racing team. Put simply, it's X-Factor on bikes. In 2016, the winner was Lee Torvalson of Arkansas, USA, a new cyclist and ex-elite runner. And this July, she's in the thick of things, riding the Giro Rosa and La Corse by the Tour de France. It's just incredible. The Canyon Shram Zwift Academy is back in 2017, and you can register today. Check it out for yourself at ZwiftAcademy.com today. Uh, welcome back to the Zwift Tour de France podcast and I'm still here in the middle of the Velodrome Stadium, the Stade Velodrome or the Orange Stade Velodrome we should say that's the real name uh, for this stadium here in Marseille with Dave McKenzie. Dave, tonight the riders will come to Paris. As a rider, you know, as, as a racer, how good is that first turn onto the Champs-Élysées after three grueling and hard but also awesome week of riding? I would have no idea because I've never done it, but I can tell you what it feels like on four wheels in a car. I've driven up the shops on the final stage in the car. <laughs> so, but no, look, I can, I've only done, I did one grand tour, the Giro d'Italia, and we finished in Milan. 
So, you know, for, to draw a comparison, Paris is, to me, the most beautiful city in the world. It is the most amazing boulevard in the world. And the fact that the Tour de France, you know, it finishes on this boulevard every year, it's just... Um, it's amazing. It's amazing for us on the sidelines. So for the riders, and, we, and I've interviewed all of the Australians over the years, the, the, the 11 that I've now covered, you can see they are absolutely brilliant. You know, they're just bursting at the seams with excitement. And it's just, it's really good to experience it. The other day on the drive, uh, we, had, we had, I was uh, sharing the car with Hank Vogels. And Hank was saying that he still remembers the feeling of taking that first turn for the first time in his life. That was the, the little 15-year-old kid in his head. Uh, that was all those thoughts of the work that he has put in from the moment he started riding to that exact moment of his first turn. So that must be massive for a rider, even if you're on your 10th Tour de France. Yes, and look, there's, there's quite a few debutants this year in the Tour de France. So, you know, Damien Housen's one of those, the Australian, and uh, we've been tracking his sort of progress throughout this Tour de France. And so I'm going to look forward to speaking to guys like him. And, and you've just hit it on the head, and Hank knows. He's, he's been here and, and done it, uh, you know, on a few occasions. And, uh, in fact, he was third on a stage on the Champs-Élysées. So, yeah, and that, that's it. When you make that first right-hand turn for the first time onto the Champs-Élysées and the crowd roars, it is, it is like a stadium, like what we're standing in now. So if we predict the race uh, tomorrow, uh, it's, still, it's still a stage. So we'll have a procession up to the first two of the Champs-Élysées and then it will open up. That's pretty much how do you see this or do you see a breakaway going early and then get sucked back in in the Champs-Élysées? Yeah, the second part. <laughs> Breakaway going early, getting sucked back in. Sorry to, sorry to write the script, peeps. And, uh, but I, I don't, I, I, I will treat you with respect because I think you know. I think you know. Most people know. Look, it's not. Uh, it wouldn't be the first time if a breakaway succeeded on the Champs. It's happened before, and it's happened, you know, probably 10 years ago now, I think. The last time I think it happened was, in fact, Bradley McGee and Alexander Vinokurov just stayed off the front of the peloton. So it's a long time ago. But it could happen again. It's doubtful. But there are quite a few big sprinters that have gone home. Demar's gone home. Of course, Kittle's gone home. So a lot of those sprint trains won't be, um, you know, there to help. However, guys like Andre Greipel hasn't won a stage. Nasser Buhani hasn't won a stage. And then you've got Michael Matthews brimming with confidence. Do you think teams somewhere are going to line it out for him? Of course they are. So all things considered, it should be a bunch sprint. So it's really, really, really important to pack in a nap if you can it's Sunday why not pack in a nap because the stage is really worth staying up even if you work on Monday absolutely have, have a siesta Sunday Arvo get the kids outside play in your backyard wear them out have, have a siesta and get your best French cheeses get a selection get a few a few little hams a few olives I'd start I'd start maybe with uh, Pinot Noir settle in for Sunday night because it's great it's a great procession and, and it, it's a fun night you know we're not going to see drama of, of some of the other stages that we've seen, but we'll see a great stage. Unless the weather plays a part, because they, they're forecasting a wet race. Gee, you can be so negative sometimes. <laughs> I've lived too long in England. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And I'll tell you what, the weather does flick across uh, the English Channel straight through Paris sometimes, or at least from Brittany. So, yeah, yeah it, that would be a turn-up, wouldn't it, if we did have a wet... We haven't had a wet finish in Paris for ever. Yeah, for a long, long time. Yeah, a long time. So let's let's hope it stays dry. I think for everyone involved, 
remember the women's La Course. I think it was the first or second one, and it rained in the morning for the women, the amount of crashes. So if it is raining, it will be like a skating rink out there. Absolutely. Look, we are still in a velodrome, but we got to hurry because we also have a, a train to catch if we want to be in Paris for, uh, for, the, for the broadcast tonight and also for the podcast tomorrow. We do, we do. You know what I heard about the English, uh, English TV, ITV? They're going on a private jet, apparently. What's, what's going on with SBS? I'm, I'm, I'm hoping the chopper will pick me up in the middle of the stadium now. I think we should go hashtag get a chopper to SBS. <laughs> get a chopper. We need it. <laughs> SBS needs a chopper. Thanks, uh, thanks Macan, and we'll see you in Paris. We've had a great time, and yes, see you soon. One more to go. One to go. Can't wait. Thanks to Zwift for sponsoring the SBS Tour de France podcast. Every day throughout the Tour de France, there are SBS group rides that you can join and see how your wattage output compares to the likes of Richie Port and Chris Froome. Check it out today by visiting Zwift.com to learn more.